Well, good morning, ACAC family. And again, welcome to those of you who are joining us online. Perhaps you just joined us. My name is Christian Ballinger. I am the worship pastor here at ACAC. And I am sad to report that today is the last day of our He Said What sermon series. Everybody say, oh. I know that just as I have, you have enjoyed this series and it's, it's been great to walk through some of these tough sayings of Jesus, but there have been some moments of real challenge because Jesus has some tough things to say. In fact, here are a few of the phrases that we have examined over the past several weeks. Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Truly, I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Lastly, Jesus potentially talking to a gentleman who's preparing to bury his own father says, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. You see, I'm convinced of one thing after having walked through the last several weeks of this series as a church body. The tougher the saying of Jesus is to hear, the higher are the stakes. The tougher the saying, the higher the stakes. And perhaps the stakes are none higher than the words that we'll examine today. And it's with that I want to draw your attention to Matthew's gospel, the seventh chapter, verses 21 through 23. Of course, we'll have it on the screens for your reference. Jesus begins, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then, Jesus says, I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I want to conclude our sermon series, He Said What, by talking to you over the next several moments on the subject of talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. And this is something that we all know because over the course of our lives, we have all experience somebody writing a check with their mouth that they could not cash. 
Maybe you've experienced this in the realm of competition. Maybe you were playing a sport or maybe a friendly table game with your friends or your family, and somebody was talking a big game, but when it came down to it, what they were talking and what actually happened did not match because talk can be cheap. Or here's my favorite. When somebody agrees to pick you up at a certain time, and that time comes, and you are waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. Growing up in Detroit and then moving to Chicago, I am very much the product of public transportation. And I cannot tell you how many times I needed that bus to come at 10.05. I needed that bus to come at 8.30. And it did not show up. Now, I'm sure the Port Authority is very different here in Pittsburgh. I have not had to use it. But my experience has been even public transportation with its schedules cannot sometimes pan out. On a more serious note, maybe there's somebody in your life or formerly in your life who you knew, loved, and trusted, and they made you a promise or promises that came up empty. Maybe those empty promises severed that relationship and caused you personal harm. But the truth is, we have all written that check, whether it was for a little or for a lot. But I love our Savior because he always speaks the truth. In fact, he is the truth, and because of that, when he says something, the onus is ours to pay close attention, especially to today's text. So this passage, you should know, is found in the famous Sermon on the Mount, Matthew's, Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And Matthew, he really emphasizes, emphasizes the teachings of Jesus. So it's no surprise that in Matthew's gospel, in particular, the Sermon on the Mount, we find some of Jesus' most noteworthy sayings. And I'm going to need your help. Um, so when I point to you, uh, fill in the blank for me for these expressions of Christ. Okay, here's the first. Blessed are the poor in Very good. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5, 3. But seek first ha, and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Matthew 6, 33. Last but not least, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Ha! And the door will be open to you. We got some Bible readers in the house. Hallelujah. Isn't it ironic then that as part of Jesus' most viral message, he would utter such sobering, such stark and such challenging words. Because Jesus was not consumed with celebrity, but his preoccupation was teaching the truth. Our series has taught us that Jesus is no stranger to sayings that are tough because of his unwavering commitment to the truth. In fact, when you do a broad overview of the Sermon on the Mount, you see that three themes emerge. The first is the crowd. Everybody say the crowd. Matthew starts this excerpt, chapters 5 through 7, by literally saying, seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain. 
We literally have the Sermon on the Mount because of the crowds. But that's not the only thing. The second theme is the truth. Everybody say the truth. This is the embodiment of Jesus' teachings, which often were contrary to what people had previously believed to be true. For that reason, as you observe Jesus speaking during the Sermon on the Mount, you'll, you'll see him say, you have heard it said, but I say. Because sometimes Jesus needs to correct us. I know I'm not going to get no amens on that, but he certainly does need to on occasion. And then the last is the few. Everybody say the few. Matthew continues in that very first verse of chapter 5 by saying, And when he, Jesus, sat down, his disciples came to him. Because, you see, there's a difference between the crowd and the few. And maybe Jesus would want us to walk away from the Sermon on the Mount, the total body of Matthew 5 through 7, with this. The truth narrows the crowd to the few. The truth narrows the crowd to the few. It's like this. So this is a magnifying glass, and when I look at this, I'm reminded of mine and my wife's affinity for detective shows. Does anybody like detective shows, like CSI and all that good stuff? So the thing that we love about detective shows is that the show opens and there's this like mystery, there's this crime, and they have no clue what happened. So then they have to use their resources, they have to do their digging and find out the details, the facts of the case in order to solve it. And invariably, with each passing episode, it's rather formulaic, but still entertaining at the same time. I don't know how they managed to do that. So they start, there's a mystery, and then they, they, they start to collect evidence. And as they collect evidence, they gather a suspect list. And this list, it, it may be as small as three or as big as 15, who knows? But what happens is, as they start to do further and further investigation, the truth about the case emerges and, oh, okay, because of this truth, it can't be this person. And because of this truth, it can't be this person. Oh, I found this. Because of this truth, it can't be this person. And as the episode progresses, they go from a crowd of the accused to finally the person who did it. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you today, please know that the kingdom of darkness is doing an investigation on us to see whether we're in the crowd or the few. When tests, when trials and temptations come our way, the kingdom of darkness is examining us to see, okay, are they going to go to the world's vices or are they going to go to the Lord in prayer? Are they going to start to walk in the flesh or are they going to start to walk in the spirit? The kingdom of darkness, ask Brother Job if you don't believe it, is doing an investigation to see where we fall. The unbelieving world is doing an investigation to see where we fall. When you go to work tomorrow, they want to know if the Jesus you and I worship on the weekend is enough to sustain our conduct throughout the week. The world is doing an investigation. And as our text suggests, our Savior is doing his own investigation 
as well. But let me assure you, Jesus wouldn't have come unless he wanted us to be with him, to partake in the kingdom that has no end. However, his heart, whether, while his heart is not exclusion, it is fidelity. As Solomon writes, many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person who can find. Jesus wants to know who's committed to his teaching, who's committed to him. But we know that this is not for everyone. And this perhaps become most clear towards the end of his message. You see, when we get to the seventh chapter, there are three key teachings of Jesus that highlight this. Verses 15 through 20, verses 24 through 27, and then our text today conveniently sandwiched in the middle. In verses 15 through 20, Jesus warns of false prophets, those who look one way outwardly and another way inwardly, adding that a tree, good or bad, is known by its fruit. In verses 24 through 27, Jesus says, everyone who hears and does his words will stand. But he cannot guarantee that for the person that only hears his words, but does not do what he says. And it's narrowing effort then, the truth, and remember, Jesus is the truth, examines the internal condition of our hearts as well as our external habits. This brings us back to Matthew 7, 21, where Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Let's stop right there. So you may be wondering at this point, in person, watching online, well, if the stakes are that high, how can I know what is the will of the Father who is in heaven? I love that God does not leave us hanging as it pertains to an answer to that question. In fact, if you fast forward in Matthew's gospel, you'll see in the 17th chapter, the father himself is very clear about this. When he says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, listen to him. If you want to know the father's will, it's simple. Listen to Jesus. Listen to what he says in his word concerning you. When you have that situation that you don't know which way to go, whether left or right, when you take that to the Lord in prayer, trust that the still and small voice of the Savior still speaks to us because he said that his sheep know his voice. And if we follow his voice, we know that we are following the Father's will. Matthew continues, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Jesus challenges the crowd to heed his teaching and to not settle for loose association because to do so would jeopardize one's very admission into the kingdom of heaven. How an individual relates to Jesus now will determine where they spend all of eternity. 
So what is the implication for us today? I believe it's simply this. Those who know and follow Jesus enter the kingdom, not merely those who say his name. Those who know and, everybody say and. and. Follow Jesus, enter the kingdom, not those who merely say his name. To know Jesus is to be in personal relationship with him. To follow Jesus is to be obedient to his teaching. And saying his name should denote a personal relationship with him that is rooted in obedience. So at this point, I want to further implicate the truth of God's word to us today by saying this as a first item. Here it is. It is not enough to know Jesus without following him. It is not enough to know Jesus without following him. I think the best example of this is Jesus' very own brother, James. How many of you actually knew Jesus had brothers and sisters? Like, Jesus is not an only child. You would think, man, like, he's a son of God. He got brothers and sisters, but he does. We're introduced to his family in Matthew 13 when he writes, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? So Jesus, just like you and I, he had a family. And you would think because he's perfect, his family was perfect. But let me tell you, that was not the case. Jesus had family drama just like you and I have family drama. Can you say amen? And perhaps the main source of contention was Jesus' very own identity. In fact, if you go to John's gospel, his commentary on this is, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. Even his own brothers, the people closest to him, did not believe in him. And this is John's final commentary on, in essence, the dispute between Jesus and his brothers, where his brothers go one way and Jesus goes another. And we don't find another recorded conversation between he and they before Jesus goes to the cross. I would like to just insert in this moment, maybe you're at odds with, with a relative or, or a close friend Maybe there is discord in the current relationship. May I encourage you, whether here or online, make it right. Because we're not promised tomorrow. We're not even promised later today. And the regret that James had at the news of his brother's death by crucifixion is not what we want to bear on our hearts if it's too late to settle whatever it is that we have going on. Amen. But fortunately, our story doesn't end at the cross. You and I both know that. He died on the cross, Jesus did, sure enough. He was buried, but three days later, he rose from the grave. And after he rose from the grave, he made a series of appearances. And the Apostle Paul actually records some of these for us in the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians. And wouldn't you know who made the list? 
Simply stated, he said, then he appeared to James. So James had to go on his own journey of realization with his very own brother, who he found out was the risen Savior, the Son of God. And he was so committed to that that we find him amongst Jesus' earliest followers. If you go to Acts, the first chapter, verse 14 tells us, they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So James is on this journey now following his brother, who happens to also be the savior of the world, and he joins in with the company that, that calls him Lord. And as time progresses, James grows in wisdom and in stature and in favor amongst the body of Christ, so much so that the Apostle Paul later called him a pillar. And at the pinnacle of his influence, he pens a letter that bears his name. And he starts this letter. His very first words are the following. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. A servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James had to go on a journey of thinking that he knew who he was to actually knowing him based on Jesus' terms. And for you and I, I would say that we only truly know Jesus when we relate to him on his terms. We only truly know him when we relate to him on his terms. Could this perhaps be the chief issue with Christianity where we're quite frankly changing the terms, that we're not relating to him the way he says that we should relate to him? Maybe this issue even filters into our homes, our families, and our marriages. Brothers and sisters, the terms are always best when Jesus sets them. They're always best. There's a blessing when we do things the way that Jesus says to do them. But in order for that to be the case, we actually have to know what are those terms. And sadly, according to the American Bible Society, over this past year, 2022 included, 26 million Americans have either nearly or completely stopped reading their Bibles. Furthermore, a Christianity Today article on the same report comments, it wasn't just the occasional scripture readers who didn't pick up their Bibles as much in 2022 either. More than 13 million of the most engaged Bible readers, measured by frequency, feelings of connection to God, and impact on day-to-day -day decisions, perhaps this is how you and I would describe ourselves, say they read God's word less. If there was ever a time for us to get more serious about following Jesus, brothers and sisters, it's now. Not tomorrow, not next week, not a year from now, but right now, making a decision to know those terms and to adhere to them because we know the one who set them. May we be a part of this trend reversing of 40 million people picking up their Bible over the next year. 
because we need to know those terms. In fact, let me encourage some of you or maybe even all of you. You heard the announcement earlier about adult life ministries and all of their fall offerings. Can I challenge you to really seize the opportunity that's before us as a congregation to go deeper in our following of Jesus, to go deeper in knowing those terms by joining a growth group, by by joining a Bible study. Maybe you have never undertaken serious Bible study in the entirety of your Christian life, or maybe your journey with Jesus started just recently. Make it your business to know those terms. Amen? Amen? But Jesus is not just his teachings. He is a person to whom we can relate. So here's the second thing. It is not enough to follow Jesus without knowing him. It is not enough to follow Jesus without knowing him. The perfect and unfortunately most tragic example of this is Judas Iscariot. You see, he was among Jesus's earliest followers and even rose to prominence as one of the 12 apostles. But we are given a rather unflattering picture of him in John's gospel in the 12th chapter. Right after Mary, she breaks this this jar of perfume and, and spills it at the feet of the Savior. John picks up by saying, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. If Judas's relationship with Jesus had been personal, lying, stealing, and ultimately conspiracy to murder would not have been the fruit of it. You see, somewhere along the way, Judas's following got impersonal. He started to, to drift from the Savior, assuming his relationship was ever personal at all. But brothers and sisters, let us learn from the failings of one of Jesus's earliest followers and knowing that for us, our task, our desire should be to know him increasingly on a daily basis because we are truly following Jesus when it is based on personal knowledge. So I'm going to ask the question. It's going to sound funny when I ask it, but just bear with me. So has anybody ever heard of Bill Gates? Amen. Yeah, I know. It's funny. So he was like my forever answer to the trivia question, who's the richest person in the world? I would just automatically go to him, even if it wasn't the case, because that that was just the association. But as it turns out, he's not just wealthy, but he's quite a philanthropist. And he and his wife, Melinda, they started the world's largest nonprofit, which you may have heard of, called the Gates Foundation. And Bill and Melinda, they raised three children and On the outside, it seems like they had everything that you could ever want and were doing things the right way. But an article reported that just over the past year, after 27 years of marriage, they filed for divorce. 
And this same article also talks about gray divorce, which is those who divorce after age 50, that it's on the rise. And the rate has actually doubled from 1990 to 2010, and those levels have remained the same ever since. But if that's not bad enough, here is the kicker. The statistics say that over half of those divorces occur after 20 years married. What could make someone, after 20 years, walk away from a marriage? How can all of a sudden two people, maybe one person more than the other, who knows, how can they just call it quits? Well, you and I both know that it's not all of a sudden, that there were things that happened over time that caused the dissolution of that relationship. So what do we do with that? How can we prevent that from happening? Well, this article, which is a secular one, might I add, suggests as a first priority as it pertains to remedies for divorce, to remember what made you fall in love with your partner. Now, I know that for a lot of you, the light bulb went off when I said that because you recalled what Jesus said to the Ephesian church in Revelation, the second chapter. You see, the Ephesian church was the church of all churches in a lot of ways. The Apostle Paul himself founded it, and he spent more time in Ephesus than he did anywhere else on his missionary journeys. In fact, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, tells us that Paul just didn't do miracles in Ephesus. He did extraordinary miracles. The letter that we have from Paul to the Ephesians has no corrective language. And Paul gave the Ephesians his very best in sending his protege, Timothy, to be their pastor. But when we get to Revelation, the second chapter, Jesus took issue with them. Because even though they, they had doctrine so much so that they proved those who claimed to be apostles, not apostles, even though they had deeds, they were doing things, and they were active in their community, there was one thing that Jesus found fault with them. And he said that they had forsaken their first love and for them to turn the course and to do what they did at first, to remember why it is they fell in love with the bridegroom in the first place. Brothers and sisters, as a worship pastor here at ACAC, I have this particular burden. I so celebrate the 127-year rich history of this church, how it's affected not just greater Pittsburgh, but the kingdom of God through everything that's taken place in this special place. I celebrate everything that we're doing to, to serve our community here on the north side and, and even beyond. But might I say, if we're taking our cues from Jesus, there is an order of priority for us as a church family, and it is to maintain our love relationship with him. That's why every weekend we put forth the effort to not just prepare songs that sound good, and certainly that's a part of it. We want to be a blessing. 
but to set a table for us to commune with our Savior. Not to spectate, not to judge, not to be in our feelings about what maybe transpired prior to us walking in this room or, or logging on to this broadcast, but for us to say, Jesus, I love you so much that I don't care who's looking. I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to give your name all the glory, honor, and praise that it's due. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's what it is for us as a church to know him. Individually, we are seeking him in private. And then corporately, we are seeking him as a church body. So knowing and following Jesus, those are the ones that inherit the kingdom, those who know him, those who follow him, and it's a both and. But there is a starting point to that. You see, just as Jesus was addressing the crowd when he gave the Sermon on the Mount and he came to our text for today, I believe that whether here in person or online, amongst the many people who are participating in this service, that there might be someone who has not yet found that starting point on their journey. I want to tell you that by choosing to know and follow him, you will gain a kingdom that has no end, where you are valued and loved, and the promise of eternal bliss awaits. But choosing the opposite will mean a life fixed on the temporal, pursuing ever-elusive value in love with the promise of eternal torment. You have a big decision to make today if that's you. And to you, I want to say, knowing and following Jesus starts with saying his name. Knowing and following Jesus starts with saying his name. If you go back to Matthew 7, verse 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But I get two things from that. One, that there are people who will say, Lord, Lord, and go to the kingdom of heaven and experience the riches of the kingdom in heaven. Present, future, and eternal. And I know that there are many in this room who can say that that is the case for your own life. But the second thing is, you do have to say, Lord, Lord. And Paul has great language on this when he says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes in this moment and make it a moment of privacy and of intimacy with the Savior. Perhaps that's you. Perhaps maybe you've even come to ACAC or have been logging on to this broadcast for a number of weeks, months, maybe even years. And you are saying to yourself now, you know, I, I've, I've come to church, I've, I've learned the lingo, but I've never really officially started a relationship with Jesus. I want to give you an opportunity to do so now. And it simply starts by saying his name. So if that's you in this moment of privacy with no one looking at you, I'm going to ask that you just raise your hand into the air if you're in the sanctuary. 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. A few more moments. If that's you, just raise your hand into the air. For those that have responded, I'm just going to help you start this new journey by giving you more language. So as I pray these words, I want you to pray after me. And church family, would you rally around them by helping them and repeating these words? Lord Jesus, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this opportunity to know and follow you. I believe that you are Lord, and I confess that today. I thank you that you have purchased my eternity and that you rose from the grave to secure it in your hands. I thank you now for the freedom that I find in you and the privilege of knowing and following you all of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church family, can we celebrate those that made that decision today? Let me assure you, if that's you, you made the best decision that you will ever make. And I promise you, if you, if you commit to knowing and following Jesus all of your days, you will never regret it. You will never regret it. Church family, can we stand to our feet? I want to say to those who, again, made that decision today, congratulations, and we so celebrate you. But while knowing and following Jesus starts with saying his name, it does not end there. John has the final word on this when he says, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, follow, love for God, no, is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So regardless of whether your journey started just a few moments ago or you've been journeying with Jesus for 50 years, the goal is the same for each and every last one of us, to be like him. And how many of you know that after you've been married a certain amount of years, you start to look like your spouse. I'm like, I'm looking at some of y'all right now. I'm like, dang, okay, amen, y'all look quite alike. And the same is true of our Savior. The more time we spend with him, the more we know him, the more we follow him, the more we look like him. And our relationship with him, just as it is with you and the significant people in your life, is undergirded by love. Phoebe led us so beautifully in a song earlier that I asked her to 
to come back and, and to really allow us to allow that song and, and the sentiment of it and this notion of knowing and following Jesus to permeate our hearts as we leave this place today, as we, as we tune off of this broadcast today. So I'm going to ask her to come. And church family, would you just one more time, just close your eyes. And if you feel so inclined, lift your hands into the air as a posture of surrender and saying that we are truly available to him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that we can know you. Thank you that you've made it possible to follow you. Your path is the path of life. You came, Jesus, that we might have life and have it to the full. Lord, your commands are not burdensome. May we renounce that lie in the name of Jesus. Following you, Knowing you is the best thing that we could ever do. So God, would you so permeate the desire to do both in our hearts as we leave this place today. We love you, we praise you, and we give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we put our hands together? Before we go, two quick things. If you responded to the, the, the call to, follow, to know and follow Jesus for the very first time today, uh, we want to meet you to my right here um, at, the, at the corner of the stage. We have a gift for you and some resources that we want to gift you to help you start your new journey. I do want to highlight one. Um, this is actually a book that I wrote called All Man, All Amazing, how Jesus is the greatest man to ever live and how we can live like him. We want to gift this to you as, as well as some other things. So please, 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 if you responded today, do not leave without getting this gift. And church family, this same resource is actually available to you as well today for the cost of $10, which is basically the cost of just printing the books and having them sent here. So this could potentially be a real blessing to you and your aspirations to know and follow Jesus as well. If you're watching online, this resource is available on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Church family, may the Holy Spirit empower you to know and follow Jesus as you leave and to go into the rest of your week. God bless you.